Let us pray. Almighty God, increase our longing for Christ our Savior, and give us the strength to grow in love, that the dawn of his coming may find us rejoicing in his presence and welcoming the light of his truth. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, and happy Advent. Let's try that again. Happy Advent. Wonderful. I see a lack of elastic waistbands in the congregation today, so I know that you've all recovered from your Thanksgiving feasting. A young man was recognized as a piano prodigy at the age of 11. Encouraged by his parents and wealthy patrons, he excelled and found himself composing and performing on some of the greatest stages in Europe. He was able to do very well for himself. Each piece he composed brought new admirers, and he was able to remain his own man, not tied down to a particular venue or sponsor. He had the gift of all the great musicians, that particular ability to evoke deep emotion in the listener by making new sense of notes and words and harmony. He used opera to tell vivid stories and dramatic encounters between characters. But he was a perfectionist, and his passion was such that at one time when a prima donna refused to follow his instructions specifically, he picked her up by the waist and threatened to hurl her out the window, saying, You are a she-devil, but I am Beelzebub. (laughs) I'm sure that's never happened in choir practice here. (laughs) Increasingly frustrated by his pursuit of perfection, he was inspired to try a new method, something different than he'd ever done before. He sat down to create a piece that would make him, according to Beethoven, the greatest composer of all time. An unorthodox production, this piece follows a loose narrative of prophecy, sacrifice, and glory. Instead of being carried by just a few voices, like an opera, it would be the chorus that led this piece, and to such an effect that Mozart said, it strikes like a thunderbolt. It took him no more than four weeks to write it, and within the year it was set for debut in the fastest-growing city in Europe, out to prove its prominence on the world stage. On April 13, 1742, 700 people crowded into Dublin's music hall for the performance. Women were encouraged not to wear hoops in their skirts so that people could pack in. The strings picked up, and the audience was immediately riveted. The music became all-encompassing. The soprano, who was embroiled in a rather scandalous divorce at the time of the performance, delivered a line so movingly that from the audience a priest leaped up above the crowd to shout, Woman, for this be all thy sins forgiven thee. (laughs) It was a wild success, and it moved like wildfire throughout Europe and has stood the test of time. It's now a staple for the Advent and Christmas seasons and an incredibly moving portrait of humanity's response to the divine. The composer was Handel, And his triumphant piece is the Messiah. And now, my friends, you know the rest of the story.
I share this story with you this morning for two reasons. The first is that you'll have the chance to experience that beautiful work this afternoon, courtesy of our canon musician and choirs. The second is that today marks the beginning of Advent, my favorite season of the church year. Advent is the season where we think and pray deeply about the human response to the divine. Today's readings all call, almost desperately, for tangible divine intervention. The most striking instance that we hear today happens in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus, God incarnate, describes the signs of God's imminent arrival and implores the faithful to respond. This daunting passage is what scholars cheerfully call the little apocalypse. Now, language about the apocalypse rarely calls to mind anything cheerful, but apocalyptic imagery is actually quite hopeful. When we see apocalypses in scripture, we're seeing a particular rhetorical device at work. To imagine the apocalypse is to imagine work happening on a curve. A curve, in fact, that circles completely around. Apocalypses prompt a listener or reader to both reflect on God's saving action in the past and look forward to God's redemptive acts in the future. They follow a specific pattern to enhance this voice that both recalls and foretells of God's faithfulness to us. Here's the step-by-step guide to an apocalypse. First, rebellion against the kingdom of God is strong. Second, the wicked oppress the righteous. Third, things will get worse before they get better. Fourth, things have gone absolutely pear-shaped, but hang on for just a little bit longer. Five, God will show up to set things right just as you think you can't possibly endure anymore. Here in Mark, Jesus is talking to his disciples using language from the book of Daniel, a book that centers on a man who remained faithful to God and kept practicing his faith, even though it was illegal to do so. The book of Daniel was written down for a generation of Jewish people suffering under a regime that persecuted and oppressed them. Looking back for Jesus' disciples, this image calls to mind what is happening at that moment to them. Moving forward, imagine yourself as the audience intended for Mark's gospel. In the year 70, this passage sounds a lot like the Jewish revolt against Rome and the subsequent destruction of Jerusalem. To us, this sounds like the time between the resurrection and the ascension and the second coming the between time, the long wait. See what's happening? This prophetic vision prompts us to look around both backwards and forwards. This call for the last day echoes what we heard in Isaiah and in the psalm, passages that sing of the lamentation and ardent waiting for the Messiah's arrival. This circular viewpoint is the path that you and I walk in Advent. It's why we use a wreath this season, a circle without beginning or end, to recall to the forefront of our mind that God's plan of salvation is constantly at work, and we are continuously participating in the building of God's kingdom. 
Contrary to popular belief, visions of the apocalypse are not meant to predict the future. Apocalyptic visions encourage us to look at God's mighty acts in the past in order to understand how the people of God should respond to the present. God's mighty acts in the past are signs and wonders of divine faithfulness to us. Again and again, God calls us to see this faithfulness, to name this devotion, and to give thanks and praise and wonder for the glorious reality of the devotion of God. No sign of God's faithfulness to us is greater than that of Jesus Christ. Advent is a season of anticipation, to remember the longing and hope of waiting for the Messiah as we long and hope for his return. However, however, we forget. Advent becomes a mere countdown. It is a ticking clock from which we draw stress instead of peace, anxiety instead of joy. Sometimes Advent feels like a very different kind of apocalypse is looming. So Jesus' words to the disciples should ring especially loudly for us on this first Sunday of Advent. Keep alert. Keep awake. This is so much greater than a prompt to set your alarm each day so you can get everything done by Christmas. What Jesus calls us to awaken from is our spiritual sleep. We are lured by false promises and cloudy hopes on every side, and they lull us into acceptance when we should be defiant and convince us of our hopelessness when we should be convicted to act in righteousness. When we become alert and open our eyes, we are horrified. Mark describes the process of the apocalypse as giving birth. First, there are the contractions, stabs of pain, which subside. Then, as he writes, the pangs and groaning grow. When we wake up from our spiritual sleep, we notice exactly where the birth pangs are happening. Look around and see the wanton destruction. See the gaping holes in our social order. Watch the people who cannot afford to fully participate in the economy scratch and claw at each other on Black Friday, all for the profit of a few. See the fear and heartbreak bubble and boil in Ferguson, Missouri, and across the nation. Cry for the fact that between Michael Brown's death in August and now, 14 more teenagers have been killed by police officers. Observe the reality that there are six thousand homeless children in the state of Arizona, 80% of whom are under 12, and half of those are under 5. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. The apocalyptic pattern holds, but like the process of giving birth, all of the action is anticipatory. Advent is a season of anticipation where we hold to hope in the midst of pain and anxiety and chaos. Advent is a season where we remember the anticipation of God's faithfulness in the past as we anticipate God's faithful action in our present and future. 
Advent is a call to awaken to God's faithfulness, even though we feel like we can't stand it anymore. Handel's Messiah begins with a call to God's people in Isaiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prepare a highway for the Lord. Clear a path in your heart and in our world. Carry forth light into the darkness. In Spanish, the verb for giving birth is dar a luz, which transliterates to give a light. The result of the pain of bearing things into this world is light. Each week in our wreath that symbolizes the past, present, and future faithfulness of God, we will light a candle. Each candle represents the growing light of Christ, moving surely and steadily in the world. I mentioned earlier that one of the masterful things that Handel's Messiah does is that the story of Christ— His nativity, his passion, his resurrection, and ascension into glory is carried by the whole chorus. Not a single voice can carry the message, nor can a single candle carry the light. Action by action, word by word, and prayer by prayer, we are called to carry the light of Christ into the darkness. We are to act in response to God's faithfulness to us, but being willing to wake up and to shine a light on the broken places and darkness in our world and to build up God's kingdom brick by brick with love. Together, you and I, each with our own light, can illuminate the world. We can gather together in praise and thankfulness and love. We can join our voices gathering them in strength and conviction of God's great faithfulness to us in Christ. We shall sing with hope-filled anticipation of that final day when together we shout the great chorus, Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let us wake up this Advent and cultivate the light of Christ in our hearts and in the world. Amen.